I don't need to tell you in the room that there's injustice in our world. You flick on the news, you speak to a friend, um, we know, don't we? We feel the aches that the world is not how it should be. This video showed us something of the darkness that we're going to be speaking about a little about this morning. But I want to, know, I want to say from the onset that the most incredible, miraculous, uncomprehendable light is breaking through. And God has always been passionate about justice. His story has always been one of freedom. It's literally his, his, his story. The Bible is one story of freedom. It's woven throughout the whole of his word. He brings breakthrough in the most impossible situations. And that's why I stand here totally full of hope that he will continue to write his story. And today I believe that he has an invitation for each of us to be people of justice here in Edinburgh, uh, beyond, and to be a church community who lets this injustice come close and who believes and fights for freedom, not out of striving and a need to fix it, but from a loving overflow from our own freedom stories and our own relationship with Jesus. Before we get there, we need to diagnose a problem. So I want to tell you a story. This here is Castle Elmina. Has anyone been to Castle Elmina in Ghana in the room? So Castle Elmina is this whitewashed stone building that stands on the coast of Ghana. And it was built in 1482 by the Portuguese for gold trading. And then it was soon realized that there was much more profit in trading people. So it was captured by the Dutch and the British and became a key part of the transatlantic slave trade. And captives from across Africa would be brought and arrive at Casa Almina to be held in these dark dungeons. And they would crowd a thousand people in a place that could barely, hit, a place that could barely fit 200 people. It would be cramped, it would be filthy, it was disease-ridden. They'd be subjected to all sorts of humiliation for up to three months before they were then shipped out to America or the Caribbean. And at the center of this church, the very focal point of the church, of the castle, I gave it away, was a church in the middle of the grounds. And this church existed so that the life of those who were living locally as missionaries, the governor of the castle and their families could carry on as normal. And despite their mission to share Jesus with the locals, the doors remained shut to those who were just trapped meters away. And during Sunday services, the congregation would sometimes be told to sing louder so as to mask the cries of the, that came just beneath their feet. They sang over cries of fathers, of mothers, of children's cries for freedom. And when I first heard this story, I was, I was shook, not just because of the story itself, but because it's a stark reminder that we can spend a lot of time close to Christians and a lot of time in church whilst missing what God says is good. In the Old Testament, Prophet Micah says, he has shown you what is good. And this should immediately awaken us because it's God literally telling us what he likes. It's telling us the way to his heart. He says, he has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? 
to act justly, to love mercy and walk humbly with your God. Micah 6.8, act justly, love mercy, walk humbly with your God. And just before this well-known verse, um, Micah asks, what sacrifice, what worship would best please you, God? Could I give you burnt offerings, thousands of rams, 10,000 rivers of oil, a firstborn child? None of it, not their finest offerings. God desires people to be people who act justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with him. So when we see these stories of when God's people have failed to do what is good, whether that's back in the prophets, whether that's in Castle Elmina, I'm shaken because sometimes I wonder, do we see the same story today? That same story of hopelessness, of, of turning our heads, of greed and of exploitation. At some point in your life, I'm sure each of you will have encountered a situation of real injustice. Maybe that's something in your own life, the life of a friend, but something that's pained your heart and tempted you to feel overwhelmed where actually it would be easier to turn your head and to sing louder because it's too painful. I've lived in Edinburgh for nine years, but as I said, I'm originally from the Isle of Man and I live on a farm there. and from a young age, we often had lots of people living with us as a family, um, people of lots of different walks of life, um, some of whom had experienced the most unjust situations and were all on a healing journey in some form together. Some of the situations were totally un- unfair and seemed hopeless, and the darkness sometimes felt really close, and life looked really messy. And there's times when it would be much easier, much more convenient, much less painful to turn our heads and to sing louder. At IJM, as you can imagine, we're no stranger to that pain that we can feel and the aches that we feel all around us. Um, Day in and day out, we come to face with this darkness. Um, And I want to tell you the story of an incredible, courageous young man called Godwin. He says, Godwin... We used to not be able to share his name or his face, so you've potentially seen him with blurred face, but he has since come of the age that he can decide and he wants his face to be known because he's so passionate about this work. So this is really Godwin. Um, Godwin was a bright A-star student who loved learning. And when a woman turned up to take him to his extended family to get school supplies, he went with her. And then that promise turned out to be a lie and he was sold to a fisherman on Lake Volta. And Lake Volta is the largest man-made lake in the world. So it was previously a forest that was flooded. So as you can see in these pictures, there's lots of trees and rubble sticking out of the water. And it's about 90 times the size of Loch Lomond to give you a bit of a scale as to how big this river is. And Godwin was held on a small island in a remote part of the lake And he was forced to rise at dawn and to go onto these boats. And his job was to dive deep into the water and to untangle the the nets from all the rubble below. So it was a really dangerous job. Um, No school, no family, just long, long hours on the boats. Today, an estimated 40 million people are being held in slavery. And one in four of these is a child like Godwin. 
And this isn't a crime that, that just remains on the other side of the world. It's a crime that lingers in the food that we eat, in the clothes that we wear, on the internet that we scroll. And we, we know here, if you're here and you're, you know God as a God of justice, we know that one day this won't be the case and we'll live in a just world. There will be perfect justice carried out by a perfectly holy and just God. But in the meantime, this is an evil that is very present in our world. And looking at these passages, I simply don't believe that singing our heads, that turning our heads and singing louder can be an option for us as Christians. Justice is not an optional extra, an add-on, save for the IGM investigators and lawyers or the kind of like oat milk, flat white drinking hippie friend that you have or the justice community. Um, it is at the very heart of God. And it's not a new mandate. It's not something that's simply on trend in today's society. Throughout the Bible, we see this really clear call to justice. And if it's so integral to the character of God, we as a church get this unique privilege in joining him in leading the way of making right what was wrong. But we can also miss it. I just want to briefly look at a second prophet, Amos. Um, a shepherd told to go and prophesy to the people of God because they were not following God's ways and they were mistreating the poor for their own selfish needs. And he says this, I hate, I despise your feasts. I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer me your burnt offerings and your grain offerings, I will not accept them. And the peace offerings of your fattened animals, I will not look upon them. Take away from me the noise of your songs to the melody of your harps. I will not listen, but let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like a never-flowing stream. This is pretty extreme language, isn't it? That God, God hated Israel's feasts and offerings and songs, hated their worship because their religious practices had replaced justice and compassion against the poor. They were singing over the cries of the oppressed. Now, don't get me wrong, I love worship. The Father loves worship. Um, he loves seeing our adoration. He loves seeing us pour out our hearts to him. Declaring his name can also be a really powerful way of beckoning light into the darkness. Um, but if there's no justice, our songs, our assemblies, our worship are just noise and they're actually displeasing to God. The Israelites were giving their, their best offerings, their finest dances, finest songs, finest flag wavering, whatever your worship style of choice. Um, but they were not following his way, so he took no delight in them. Rather, Amos writes, let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. And back in the Old Testament, justice is the second most talked about theme following idolatry. And then we come to the New Testament, and one in every 16 verses speaks of justice. In Matthew and Mark, one in every 10 verses, and in Luke, one in every seven. And it means, justice means to make right, so to make right in a relational sense, the relationship between people, between us and God, and between us and the world. And it's only because 
of Jesus and his work on that cross that we are free to join him in this work and being people of justice and being people of compassion, helping those who are most overlooked. Because without him, I don't believe that we're any better than those singing louder at Castle Amina. You know the state of your own heart. I know the state of my heart. It can be pretty wretched and pretty selfish, um, pretty hopeless. But as Jesus hung there, he hung for every single proud thought you've had or will have, every bad decision, every addiction, every insecurity. And when we say yes to Jesus... We can stand in front of the Father, freed from sin, welcomed into the family, and also welcomed into this family trade of seeking justice with him. No one is too far gone for Jesus, but we're also no one is enough without him. He's the one fighting for us, calling us back to him, calling us back to his heart. And in Luke, Jesus there's a moment in which Jesus literally like grabs the microphone and is saying, this is who I am and what I'm about. And these are the words he says. He says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. The whole of the Old Testament leading to this point, the coming of Jesus, and then throughout the life of Jesus, we see him draw consistently near to the marginalized and the oppressed, those are the fringes of society. Today, poverty leaves billions of people without the basic protection that we can often rely on and take for granted. So if you imagine in an area of poverty, Whilst the wealthy can pay for private protection, if you're, in an, if you're in a situation of poverty and there's gaps in the justice system, there's weaknesses, there's faults, you're going to be the first person to be affected by any form of violence. And this is what leads to a story like Godwin's. Godwin suffered on this island on Lake Volta for three years until the Ghanaian police and IJM found him and brought him to safety. But Godwin wasn't ready to go home. And this is something that I love about him. He's remarkably courageous. After three years of abuse, he said, my younger brother and some people too are there who are really suffering. And what he did was remarkable. He went back to the island to help IJM and police bring more children to safety. And over several weeks, Godwin's consistent courage led to 29 other children being freed, one of whom was his brother. And today, Godwin is an incredible leader in this work among his peers. He's loved by his teachers, by his headmaster. He's picked up his books again, and he's determined to pursue his dream of becoming a doctor. This is what is possible, freedom, justice, restoration, with the support of many in this room, the support of this entire church family, the incredible courage of people like Godwin, where we're beginning to see the tides of injustice turn. And so Jesus' arrival at this point, he ushers in this ministry that focuses on those who are most vulnerable in society. Ajim's mission is an extension of this, motivated by this biblical mandate to act justly, to rescue people like Godwin, walk with him on his restoration journey, 
To date, we've seen more than 76,000 people like Godwin rescued into freedom. But broader than that, and something I find even more miraculous, is through transformation of justice systems, we've seen millions of people from ever ending up in exploitation in the first place, protected from ever having stories like this in the first place. God will have his justice. His story of freedom will be written. What is remarkable about it all is that he invites us imperfect people into his work of justice. He calls us back no matter how far we wander. And if we look at the life of Jesus, I'm afraid to say it's probably going to look quite messy. It's going to look like letting this injustice up close and personal in our lives. Loving people sacrificially, consistently. I spoke a little bit about where I grew up in the Isle of Man. Um, and my parents, I'm definitely biased, but they are people who've been part of incredible breakthrough in a number of people's lives. And they're people who, with every ounce of their being, love mercy. There's one of my biggest prayers is that my own story would have the same mark. But I think often, especially in church, we can romanticize what that looks like, can't we? And we can almost paraphrase a mini testimony of a before and after. They opened up their home. There was healing, breakthrough, the end. And actually, we can skip over the slog of what that looks like, the heartache, the chipping away over a long, long time, loving for a long time. I'm sure this is something you will experience in some way, the cost involved with getting up close and personal with suffering. And if you drive up the lane to our farm in the Isle of Man, there are hundreds and hundreds of trees. My uncle was a passionate conservationist, so he would plant a whole range, a diverse range of trees. And he wouldn't plant them expecting them to grow in a year, but in 20 years or 30 years not expecting quick fixes, but long work continuing to show up and believe for growth. Um, Gary Haugen, the CEO and founder, who had the privilege of hosting here in Edinburgh just recently, um, he says this, he says, the victims of injustice in our world do not need our spasms of passion. They need our long obedience in the same direction, our legs and lungs of endurance, and we need sturdy stores of joy. As we feel the aches of the world around us and as we reflect on a world with so much need where we're being pulled in so many directions, I know that I can do mercy, but loving mercy feels more difficult. I can do those one-off acts and those occasional gestures, but loving mercy feels deeper and it feels like a demanding a demand of giving ourselves to others. Joining God in this was never promised to be easy, but I want you to know, and something I'm speaking to my own heart, is he's so worth it, he's so worth giving ourselves to. Seeing his breakthrough, seeing God win in school, seeing light win in the darkness is so worth it. Because God's not calling us to a nameless person or a faceless statistic. He's calling us to love people like he loves people, and he loves people with dignity. 
To love is to be compassionate, um, to serve one another as family, saying that we're in this together. And in Latin, the, the word compassion means to suffer with. We enter into another's suffering. As God entered into our suffering, he invites us to enter into the suffering of others with him. Again, where I'm totally biased, but I have most amazing colleagues, Adam included, who I wish was here, and I'm excited for you guys to get to know. Um, but right now they're working across 20 different countries on the front line, investigators, social workers, lawyers, taking on cases of violent abuse, where abuse and oppression is out of control, continuing to show up because they know that justice urgently needs to be fought for. Boys like Godwin trapped on lakes, families in brick kilns, girls in brothels. Every day they're not found is a day they're abused and no matter the darkness, my colleagues have a remarkable um, persistence in loving in continuing to show up. Keep loving, keep going. And I don't, I'm not saying that everyone in this room is going to be an IGM undercover investigator or lawyer or social worker, although some of you might want to be and chat to me afterwards. Um, but I wonder, as I, as I speak this morning, who and what is God speaking to you about? What situations might you be invited to persevere in? Where might you be invited to let this just injustice up close and personal? For some of you, I know that the issue of slavery is something you're particularly passionate about. Um, for others, maybe that is someone who is wrestling with loneliness. Maybe it's poverty as we see and we live through a cost of living crisis. Maybe it's addictions. Maybe it's a persecuted church, adoption, racial justice, the refugee crisis. There's so much to care about, isn't there? But where is God inviting you to love mercy? Now, before you start kind of going into a 10-point plan as to how I'm going to, what I'm going to do with all my time and what are the things, my measurables of how I'm coming out of this service and how I'm going to fix the world, um, we need to look at the how because we're all familiar with how that ends. It ends with weariness and weight. These statistics are overwhelming and there is so much darkness in our world, isn't it? We feel it. And there's so much to care about. But what we've seen is that justice starts and it ends with Jesus, the light of the world whom no darkness can ever come against. So why on earth would we try and act justly and love mercy without his power and presence? Yes, we act justly, we love mercy, but we do it all through walking humbly with Jesus. Um, at IJM, we truly believe that the work of justice starts at the feet of Jesus. So an hour of my contracted time a day is spent in prayer. So from nine till half nine and 12.30 till one, I am paid to pray for an hour a day. Globally around the time, praying over rescues and raids happening that day for divine favor with governments, the healing of our clients, this posture of recognizing our desperate need for the God of justice. And to the business-minded in the room, um, this could seem absolutely ridiculous. That's about, it's approximately 1,500 staff globally, about 7,500 hours a week. 
apologies for my maths, but I think it's about 400,000 hours of prayer a year when we could be on the front line rescuing people like Godwin. And I believe it's our most precious, precious investment because if we have any chance of seeing an end to slavery and violence, we need the power and the presence of the God that started the story. And today, I would love you as friends of IJM to join us in this prayer movement. I think there's a QR code there. I would love you to join us in praying for an end to slavery and violence. Every two weeks, you receive the most urgent needs that need to be prayed into. And I'd love to invite you into this, this journey with us. Something I was first taken, by, taken aback by when I came across IJM was an organization full of people who were absolute go-getters and fought hard and were professional and were the best at what they did whilst being totally dependent and at the feet of at the feet of Jesus and I'd not seen anything like that before and if I'm being honest it's something I really struggle with um as the to-do list gets longer as the targets get higher as the need gets greater my default wants to go deeper and deeper into Zoe mode to just put more hours in to work harder to strategize to go 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 um only to always be brought back to my knees because my shoulders weren't designed to carry it. To attempt the work of justice without the God of justice is robbing ourselves and is robbing those that we serve of the power and the presence of God. So we look at how Jesus did it and we see that as his crowds got bigger and the needs got bigger, rather than just running harder and putting more hours in, what did he do? He retreated to the Father Luke 5, he says he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. Yes, Jesus let the injustice in close and he surrounded himself with the marginalized and the oppressed, but he always, always did it from the overflow of his relationship with the Father. As I begin to finish, I'd love to just share that quote that I said from Gary Haugen again. The victims of injustice in our world do not need our spasms of passion. They need our long obedience in the same direction, legs and lungs of endurance, and sturdy stores of joy. The perseverance, the sturdy stores of joy that's required to see an end to slavery and violence to see people living in freedom is not just going to happen by you and I trying harder. A movement of people trying to be nice trying to fix the world but right at the beginning Micah gives us this hint to act justly love mercy walking humbly with God today in 2022 the church in Ghana is a force to be reckoned with they are they're truly leading the fight to end child trafficking on Lake Volta as they declare new songs of freedom. We've seen um, slave owners and boatmasters literally confess the people that they have enslaved within church services. Followers of Jesus facing into the darkness, recognizing the desperate need of the move of God as they fight for justice, singing new songs of freedom over their nation. And so today as Central's 
Freedom Sunday. That's what we do. We join them in refusing to sing louder over the cries of freedom, refusing that temptation to turn your head and to feel overwhelmed. And rather, we come into this posture of letting the injustice up close and personal, interceding for freedom and entering into this long work of justice, always out of friendship with Jesus. God's a God of justice. And we were made in his image. So we're people of justice. And we get the unique privilege of being part of the story, of being part of the church that can lead the way in making right what was wrong. So I'd love to just take a moment to pray that over us, that that is what we would be, that our stories would be marked by that. So um, I'll pray and then... If there's anything that God's particularly speaking to you about um, in this work or just generally in what God's burdening your hearts for injustice, I'd love to hear about it afterwards. So I'll be around and do chat to me. Let me pray for us. Father, we acknowledge you as God of justice, as the one whom is passionate for freedom, for our freedom, for the freedom of the millions who are held in slavery for um, for your people to be called back to you. And we come before you now humbly and we ask you to break our hearts afresh for what breaks yours. Father, where we've lost hope or where we feel really weary of the need, would you give us a fresh portion of your love, of your hope, would you help us be people of persistence? And where that call just feels too big, would you give us your eyes to see what you're doing, your hope, your vision, your love? And would you be speaking to us now and showing us what you have put in our hands, what the people that you've put in our lives, the injustices that you are calling us to stand against, where you're asking us to be light, in the darkness, Father, would you send us? Um, we just take your hand now and we step in. Thank you that you invite us into this beautiful story. We love you. Amen.